As we're continuing in our study in Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Um, and I think I, I really appreciated what, what Marcus had to say, um, that this is kind of a simple passage. It didn't seem so simple while I was preparing for it, so, um, but it's like the more that I dug into it, it, it just seems that, that we need to get back to the basics, the simplicity of our faith. Paul said in um, Galatians chapter 3, you know, who has bewitched you, Galatians, from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus? And, and I think that we, we tend to complicate the Christian walk and the Christian life. Uh, to read a quote from A.W. Tozer, he said, now, brethren, this is one of our greatest faults in our Christian lives. Oh, let me pray first. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here. Too much caffeine. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you so much uh, for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Uh, we know that your word is life. We know that your word is, is true food, Lord. And, and we ask to be nourished in our souls and in our hearts and our spirits this morning. Um, we pray, Spirit, that you will open up the eyes of our hearts, that we may be able to see truth, um, see your ways. Um, let us be encouraged. Let us be convicted. And let us just walk out of here uh, feeling renewed and feeling refreshed, Lord. We thank you for the worship and the worship team and uh, that your presence is truly evident here, Lord. And we just pray that this word will be a continuation of that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so to get back to my quote from A.W. Tozer, he said, Now, brethren, this is one of our greatest faults in our Christian lives. We are allowing too many rivals of God. We actually have too many gods. We have too many irons in the fire. We have too much theology that we don't understand. We have too much church, churchly institutionalism. We have too much religion. Actually, I guess we just have too much of too much. And I, I really like that quote because I think that it kind of, kind of sums it up, is that there's just so much going on. You know, we think, you know, we need another Bible study. You know, we need a good worship night. And this is what's going to really help us keep track you know, keep on, on, on track with the Lord. And really, it's just kind of, it's, we're missing the simplicity of our faith. We're missing the simplicity of our walk. We try to complicate things too much. Uh, it can be kind of like a football team. Anybody in here watch football? Yes. Yes. Amen. No. I don't really watch that much football anymore. Um, I, it, the game's kind of changed a lot. But when I was growing up, it was, it was very simple. It was like you give the ball to the running back and he's going right up the middle. You know, the quarterback passes, it's a simple pass. And now it's like you guys got going in motion, you got uh, a screen pass, a pass back to the quarter. It's just like it's, it's, it's so complicated. And, and when teams get away from that, sometimes they need to get back to the basics. You know, you need to get back to your blocking. You need to get back to, to the basic assignments. If you try to do too much, uh, you forget the basics and you complicate things and you end up losing the fundamentals. And I think that's what Christ is calling the church back to, is like, let's get back to the fundamentals. Let's get back to the simplicity. Let's not overcomplicate this, because it's really not that complicated. I, I think we make it more than what it is and more than what it should be. And I, I really like the way Jesus kind of addresses that here in these, these couple of verses. So let's go ahead and read, um, starting in verse 31. And I'm just going to read through the whole passage, and then we'll just kind of go back and uh, start breaking it down. 
Verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he'll be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with all his holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now for a little bit of context here, I'm going to back up. Uh, to, um, we're going to go back uh, to verse 28. And he told them, excuse me, let me just read the whole thing, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went to the disciples who were in the villages of Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told them, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered them, you are the Christ, and he strictly charged them not to tell anyone. So here we have uh, Peter. Here he is in verse 28, excuse me, verse 29, answering correctly, saying, you are the Christ, you know. And then just a few verses later, when Jesus said that he was going to have to suffer and that he was going to have to die, Peter's pulling him off to the side. No, 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 that's, that, that's not right, that's not right, don't say that. So here we have Peter confessing Jesus as a Christ, saying what is correct, and then just a few, day, a few verses later, saying something that is, that is completely not in line with Scripture and not in line with God's will. So here we have, you know, God's will versus our own will. You know, God's will is that Jesus must come here, he must go to the cross, he must die, he must suffer for the redemption of man. Peter's saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that, Jesus. You know, how are we going to get along here without you if, if you're not around? And so Peter was not, in one aspect, he was acting according to God's will. He was saying what was correct. He was saying what was right. In the other aspect, he's saying something that's completely opposite of what, what God's will is. And this kind of reveals that we do have this, this battle, this battle between what is spirit and what is flesh, between what is God's will and what is our own will or what is our own ideas and how we can best serve God, and do things. And so Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Only the funny thing is, is that he didn't rebuke Peter. Who did he rebuke? Satan. He said, Satan, get behind me. He didn't say, Peter, stop talking. You know, you're, you're, you're way off here, man. You don't know what you're talking about. Just, just be quiet. No, he rebuked Satan. And so he's showing us here is that there is uh, another realm. Uh, Paul said in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we all know that, that the, those passages, he said that we do not war against flesh and blood, but what do we war against? Principalities, authorities, spirits of, of darkness. 
And so we can't go on life thinking that, that this is just kind of a one-dimensional world, that there is a spiritual world that, that we are in, in, in battle against, that we do have to contend with. And this is the struggle that we find as Christians that, that we're going to deal with for, our, for the rest of our lives while we're here on this earth, is that we are going to be in constant tension between what is spirit and what is flesh. What is our will versus what is God's will? What does God want for me versus what I want for me? And <clears throat> these two things are always in opposite with one another. They don't, they don't jive with one another. They don't walk together. They walk opposed to one another. And so this is where we get robbed of the simplicity that is in Christ when we try to infuse too much of our own carnal, fleshy ideas into, into what God has called us to do. In Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, what is that? <clears throat> Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind is, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. For those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. So we need to be careful and we need to distinguish what is flesh and what is spirit. Because they don't work together, they work in contrary to one another. And and Jesus is pointing this out to him, to Peter and to his disciples, is that, you know, that there's things that, that, that are beyond our own understanding, that are beyond um, what we can see or what we can think or what we can feel, that there's, that there's a, a spiritual element to everything that we are dealing with. And so <clears throat> Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter, he rebukes Satan. And I think sometimes in our own lives, in our own walks, that we need to tell Satan to get behind us, you know? I, I think that, that we, we, we tend to look at things and we tend to, well, here's how I can fix this and here's how I can fix that. But Jesus tells us that we need to, to take authority over things, that we need to begin to, uh, like he said in Ephesians chapter 6, we need to begin to stand and we need to begin to take the, the helmet of faith and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and we need to begin to apply these things. And we need to stop listening to the lies that the enemy tries to speak over us, telling us that we're, we're not good enough, telling us that we've blown at this time, God doesn't love us, telling us um, all of these other things that, that, that are, are meant to discourage us. You know, depression, anxiety, fear, those things do not come from the Father. Those things come from, from Satan, from the enemy himself. And the problem is, is that, that we kind of allow these things to come into to our, to our lives and to our hearts. Because even though we've, we've given our lives and our hearts over to Jesus, we still have this carnal nature. And as long as we are feeding that carnal nature, then the spirit side of us can't really prevail because we're, we're so much in the flesh. We're so much in, in the realm of, of, of this reality that's in front of us that we're not seeing that there's a bigger battle that is actually taking place, that is actually going on. And so we, we find discouragement hard to overcome. We find certain sins hard to overcome because we spend so much time living in the flesh and we listen to what Satan is telling us. But what does God say about us? You know, that's the more important thing, you know, that we need to, to begin to hear what it is that the Spirit wants to say to us and what he's trying to teach us. 
you know, because God doesn't condemn you because you're struggling with something. You know, God doesn't condemn you because you, you might not know what your next step in life is. You're confused. You're whatever it may be. You know, God is there to give you direction. You're his, you're his child. You're his disciple. And sometimes we believe the lies that the enemy tries to tell us. Just like when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. You know, what did the enemy do? He was trying to take scripture. He was trying to twist it, trying to get him to fall into his temptation. But, but Jesus kept rebuking Satan with the word of God. That's why he says to arm yourself with this. Arm yourself with this. Get this deep into our hearts. The more that we begin to feed our spirit, the more that we begin to uh, fellowship with Jesus and begin to develop that relationship with Jesus, the more the manifestations of the flesh are not going to be there. We're going to see how Satan's trying to come at us. We're going to see all of these things because we're going to be focused. And it's usually in those moments of weakness. It's in those moments of busyness and, and tired when Satan comes knocking at the door. I mean, I, that happens to me all the time. It's like when, I, when I'm busy, when I'm distracted, when I'm not allowing myself to be in the word like I should be, when I'm not fellowshipping with Jesus like I should be, and that's when the enemy comes in like a flood. And then here comes a discouragement. Here comes, you know, this old habit that died years ago, and now it's back. And, and all of these different manifestations of the flesh come because now I've let my guard down, and, and I'm allowing Satan to speak into my heart and to speak into my life. And we need to understand that, that God has given us all that we need, you know, when you gave your heart and when you gave your life to Jesus, everything that you needed for life and godliness was given to you at that point. It's like it's this little, this little ball inside of us that we need to begin to feed and we need to begin to let it grow like this little seed. But we don't let it grow sometimes. We let it stay at its immature state. So it's never able to really rise up and, and become all that God has called it to be. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He says that he's given us all that we need and that the grace of God is not here just to save us, but it's also here to sanctify us and it's here to train us. And it's here to, to take what God has planted in us, that little tiny seed, and that we have the power now to say no to worldly passions. We have the power now to say no to those things because Christ Jesus lives within us. He gave us his very own spirit for this purpose, not so that we can say we have the Holy Spirit, but that we can actually begin to put it into action and begin to apply it <clears throat> to our lives. And through that, we can overcome a lot of the things that, that we struggle with. And so don't set our things on, don't set our mind on the things of the flesh, but set our mind on the things of God. And he continues on saying in verses 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's really 
the prescription that, that Jesus gives us. Being a disciple of Jesus, it's not a complicated thing. It's, it's basically three things, and he says it right here. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And this applies for salvation. And it applies for sanctification as well. We have to deny ourselves. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Becoming a Christian is not about going to church. It's not about attending a Bible study. If you grow up in a Christian home, it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Becoming a Christian means that you have to deny yourself. Self doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. It can't because it, it's, it's prideful. It denies Christ. We have to deny ourselves. And in sanctification, as after we become Christians, we still have to go through that process of denying ourselves, of denying our flesh, its pleasures and, and what it likes and what it wants. You know, that's why people fast. Because what are you doing when you fast? For a set period of time, you're denying yourself food. The most basic primal instinct that we have as human beings is to eat. And so if we deny ourselves that, we're taking that, that, that principle and applying it. You know, sometimes we need to, to fast from this or from a television. Whatever it is, it's, it's about denying yourself and denying your flesh. The more that you deny your flesh, what it likes and what it wants, the more the spirit within you can grow. The more that you are able to hear, the more that you are able to, to see into the kingdom of God. The more that we embrace the flesh and give it what it wants and give it what it needs, we're always going to be in a state of weakness. We're going to be in a state that, that Christ has not designed for us. He's designed us to be victors. He's designed us to accomplish his purpose and to accomplish his will and what he's called us to do here. There's a dying and a hurt world out there that needs all of us to be all that we can be as, as far as we are able by the Spirit of Christ. And so denying ourselves is an important part of that. You know, we, we can't decide, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to do that. No, what is God telling you? You know, it's not, it's not your will be done, but his will be done. The third thing is that, excuse me, the second thing is, is that we have to take up our cross. And taking up this cross is not an easy thing because it means that we have to begin to bear burdens. Jesus suffered publicly and he died publicly on that cross. And he calls us to do the same. And so taking up our cross we have to embrace suffering. We have to embrace difficulties in this life. It was one of the most powerful scenes, I think it was from the Passion of the Christ. <clears throat> I, I, I don't remember what scene it was exactly, but I remember it was when Jesus was carrying the cross through the city of Jerusalem and he fell down and somebody was helping him back up. He, he like hugged that cross. You know, he was ready to bear that thing and take it all the way, you know, to, to Calvary. 
And I think that sometimes, for whatever reason, we, we've, we've come to this idea that we give our lives to Christ and we're not supposed to have difficulties because he takes those away from us. It's not the truth. There's way too many ministries out there, way too many uh, preachers out there that, that tell us that, oh, you know, this is your best life. You know, give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. Give your life to Jesus and, and, and everything's just going to be great and hunky-dory and you're going to have money and blessings and all these things God has promised you. It is the biggest, the biggest lie that is being told in, in Christendom nowadays. You know, we have to realize that it's not simple. It's simple in the fact that Christ is there to help us and Christ is there to <clears throat> carry the burdens with us, not for us, but with us. But we can't be surprised when trial comes. We can't be surprised when difficulties come because that's a part of the growth factor. We may not like it. It's not easy when we're going through those things. I know that I can look back on trials, and I'm sure anybody can, trials that we had years ago. We could see that it was the most difficult point in our life. We didn't see a way out of it. But we held on to faith, and God got us through it, and we can see the purpose that it served. We can see the fruit from it. We can see the results from it. And so we have to embrace difficulty. We have to, to embrace that because it is a part of being a disciple. And a lot of people, like in the, the <clears throat> excuse me, in the parable of the sower, when those seeds don't grow deep into, into the soil, then, then it becomes hard. They, they grow up and they shoot up fast and they wither and they die away because they don't have any depth to them, because they weren't prepared, they weren't told that this isn't easy. This is going to be difficult. And thirdly, he says, follow me. As simple as that may be, it's, 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 it's not always easy. What is God's will for my life? What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Because his calling is different for everybody. His, his, his purpose is different for everybody. You know, what he's called me to is not necessarily what he's called Blake to, or what he's called Blake to is not necessarily what he's called Luke to, or vice versa. You know, so it's, it's, there are some, some things that are in common, but for each of us, we do have our own purpose, and we have our own callings, and we have our own giftings. Well, what is God's will for my life? That's like the biggest question, especially a lot of young people have. It's like, well, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? Well, I, I can't give you that answer. I, I can't tell you that. There are some things I can tell you God definitely is not calling you to do. <laughs> but that's why it's so important to develop that relationship with Christ. What is he telling you to do? Where is he telling you to go? How is he telling you to move along? Because some people, even with the best intentions, we serve God in the flesh. Oh, I have a great idea. This will be great. You know, we can do this outreach. But, but is God telling you to do that, or is that your own idea? There's a difference between serving God in the spirit and serving God in the flesh. Because the flesh loves to, to glory to glory in those type of things. It wants the credit. It wants the, the hoorah. But he says to follow me. And that, that's different for everybody. And 
And so he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my life, loses his life for my sake, and the gospels will save it. And this really doesn't make sense, right? If you want to save your life, you know, you need to lose your life. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But the kingdom of God doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? It's kind of like this, this upside-down, backwards kingdom. <clears throat> you know, our, our flesh, and then, you know, it's like we need to save our lives and preserve it and keep all of it so that we can go on to do what we want to do. No, Jesus says you need to lay it down. If you want to gain it, you need to lay it down. If you want to see what I have for you, you need to humble yourself and you need to lay it down. And it's in direct, direct contradiction with the world. Because he goes on to say in verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but yet to forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The worldly pursuits, the worldly goals that people have set for themselves, it's not God's will for us. not about what I want to do. It's about what God wants me to do. And chasing after the things of this world <clears throat> is going to end in disappointment. It's going to end in loss. It's going to end in confusion. <clears throat> Too many of us don't really know where we are. We have one foot in the world. We have one foot in the kingdom. We have one foot that is pursuing the things of the world, and we have one foot that wants to pursue, pursue the kingdom. <clears throat> the book of James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know, we need to pick one side or the other. And, and I've been in those seasons where I've, I've gone after and pursued things of the world, or I've gone after and pursued the things of Christ. And it's not, that double-mindedness is, is, is a life sucker. It just, it just, bleeds you of, of everything that, that Christ has meant to implant into you and into your heart. We have to understand that, that the dreams of this world, that the, the things that the world wants us to pursue are not the things that God wants us to pursue. And some people often fail, like the rich young ruler in the example of Christ, you know, he had all of this thing, and Christ said, what must you do? He said, sell everything and follow me. And he walked away because he had too many possessions. We cannot allow our possessions or our dreams of, of worldly pursuits to, to take that place of, of what Christ has for us and what Christ wants for us. And I don't know what that always looks like, but we need to give those dreams and we need to give those up sometimes if that's what God is calling us to do. Hey, bubs. Hey. <laughs> I'm not reading Go Dogs Go right now. I can read that later. <laughs> um, sorry, where was I? And he goes on in verse 38. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And as I was saying earlier, Jesus was put on public display. He suffered publicly. He was rebuked publicly. He was denied publicly. He was rejected publicly. And so part of suffering, righteous suffering as, as, as being a Christian, is that we're going to suffer those same very things. That, you know, that if we decide that we're going to follow Jesus, people are going to reject you. People aren't going to like you. People aren't going to, you're not going to be everybody's buddy because now, you know, you have the aroma of Christ on you. And not everybody likes that. You don't have to walk around and be beating people over head with the Bible. <clears throat> but if you choose to walk with Christ, you're going to be walking in opposition to the world, and the world does not like that. You're going to be seen as different. You're going to be seen as weird. And if we aren't willing to take that step, as many, many people won't, the Bible does say that broad is the, as broad is the way and, and narrow is the way that leads to life, then, then Jesus will deny them before the Father, you know, when it comes time to judgment. And in verse 9, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 1, he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I did a lot of research on this because it's actually kind of a, a confusing passage there. For me, it was anyway. Um, many people believe that this refers to the transfiguration that was happening uh, just six days later there in chapter 2. Um, some say it might be the day of Pentecost. Some say it might have been the resurrection um, and then eventually the ascension, actually seeing uh, the kingdom of God moving and working in power. Um, but either way, whichever opinion is correct, uh, I think Jesus is trying to give us a glimpse here that, that this is not all there is to life, that if you follow me, if, if you become my disciple, <clears throat> that you're going to see the kingdom of God moving in power, that you're going to see things happening, things that are going to be taking place that, that can't always be explained, that are supernatural, that, um, that uh, I can't really think of my words that I want to use right now, but um, um, it's, it's not all there is, that there's a future hope, that there's, that this is not the end all of all. You know, so many people, they work and they build for this life and for this, 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 the purpose that we have here on this earth. But there's future rewards. There's, there's heaven. There's... My mic cut out. I thought I heard it cut out. Um, there are things that, that, that we look forward to that have nothing to do with any of this here. And, and we need to take that we need to have that as our hope <clears throat> and as our future that that God has better things for us if not in this life then in the life to come because this isn't all there is um, it goes goes much much beyond this um, and so I just wanted to guys to encourage you guys in this you know um, in this season I know that a lot of us are going through <clears throat> you know a lot of difficulties and a lot of a lot of things on our plate, and I think that, like what I've been saying, is that we need to get back to the simplicity. 
You know, we need to get back to the simplicity that is in Jesus. Because he cares for us and he loves us and he doesn't want us to be overwhelmed with discouragement. He doesn't want us to be overwhelmed with, with hopelessness. We need to allow his word to begin to speak over our lives and begin to, to give us hope, begin to give us encouragement. And we need to sometimes just, just shut off the things of the world so that we can take that time to, to really hear from God. You know, he said in the Gospels that my sheep hear me and they know my voice. Do we know his voice? Do we, do we know when we hear it? You know, he just doesn't go away and, and leave us as orphans. You know, he, he was here to, to lead us and he's here to guide us. But are we hearing his voice? And how do you hear the voice of God? Again, that's something that, that, that I can't teach you. It's, there's an intimacy that, that's there between you, between you and God, and it's, it's something that we have to cultivate, and it's something that we have to learn. It's not something that can really be taught. We have to pray and ask God for the discernment. What is it, God, that you're calling me to do? What is it that you want me to do? And as the chapter, uh, excuse me, as the verses in Titus said, that he's given us everything that we need. You know, we don't need this and we don't need that. It's all right there. We just have to begin to, to activate it. We have to begin to, to nourish it and let it grow. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the simplicity that is found in you. Forgive us, Lord, for, for complicating things. Forgive us for having too many things on our plate. Forgive us for putting everything before you, Lord. You have called us. You have redeemed us by your blood, by your suffering on the cross, God. You have given us everything that we need for righteousness and godliness in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing the things of the world to come into our lives and to begin to distract us and begin to take our eyes off of you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us eyes that are set on you, not on the things of this world. I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a renewed strength to begin to deny ourselves. That you would begin us, give us a renewed strength to take up your cross, and that you would just give us a renewed strength to follow you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will open our ears, God, that we may hear from the Spirit what it is that you're speaking to us as individuals, but also corporately as a body. I pray, Father, that as difficulties and challenges in this life will come, that we won't try to get away from them, that we will embrace them, God. 
that we won't see it as an opportunity for, for me to flee, but that we will see it as an opportunity to stand <clears throat> so that I can see the hand of God move, so I can see the hand of God work. I pray, Lord, that we will become weak so that you can become strong. I pray that we will humble ourselves before you so that you can become all in all. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for trying to do things in our own strength and in our own power, Lord. You said that we can't do anything unless it's of you, God. Forgive us for trying to serve you in the flesh. For the flesh can take no pleasure in the will of God, Lord. We choose this day, Lord, to crucify our flesh, to deny it, Lord, so that the Spirit can become an all in all. We thank you for all this. In your name we pray. Amen.